Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for the Cleaning and Cocktails podcast. This is where I get the opportunity to speak with fellow cleaning business owners, small, medium, and large. We take the time to let them share their stories on the ups and downs in the industry. I also speak with other experts and professionals in the industry, from your manufacturers, your suppliers, trainers, as well as other types of entrepreneurs. My mission is to empower our cleaning industry to inspire and motivate each and every one of you. I want you guys to reach new heights of success and learn from one another. My goal is to have you walk away with some tips, secrets, advice, and opinions that are relevant to all of us in our day-to-day hustle and grind while we're out there in the field working every single day. So sit back and share a cocktail with us and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Cleaning and Cocktails. Uh, this is the first episode of season two. Uh, we had 19 episodes in the first season. Uh, and I, I, I felt funny having to come out right? So again, you know, you guys, the, the show is about, about the industry, the cleaning industry. Uh, fellow business owners, like I got here, John and Matt. Um, suppliers, people from the software side, people from manufacturing. Everything and anything cleaning related, because it's a time, you know, it's a time to have shed a spotlight on our industry. So, what better than to talk shop with fellow cleaning business owners, fellow people in our space? Uh, because nobody knows it better than us, right? We're we're in this every day. Um, I'm super super stoked to have John and Matt with me. Uh, these, these guys I've grown to become very very close with friends, colleagues. We're in group messages now you know, shooting the shit with each other all the time. So again, cleaning the cocktails, season two, episode one, we're going to talk shop on building a team, scaling your business and everything it takes to do that. So without further ado, John Disselkamp here from Louisville, Kentucky, first class commercial cleaning. John, introduce yourself. Tell us how the hell you got into this uh, wonderful glamorous sexy industry <laughs> uh, time out i always forget the cheers all right i'm going to pick up your drinks god man i gotta get better at hey you think after 19 episodes you'd have that one figured yeah. out right? it says cleaning the cocktails right there all right cheers guys thank you guys for taking the time to to talk to me. all right john have at it all right. Well, thanks, Ricky. Season two, big deal, man. I appreciate being on on episode one. Uh, big deal, big deal. I got to start start off with a bang. Do you want me to tell a story how 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 we met? Mm-hmm. So, um, I uh, was at the uh, ISSA slash BSCI conference in Dallas two years ago, I think, and. Uh, we use a software called Swept that many of y'all are probably familiar with uh, on the on the operational side. And, and I was at the Swept booth talking to Michael Brown, the founder of Swept. And, and there was a guy there that was kind of hassling Michael and uh, and then talking about going to some mastermind uh, meetup. And uh, I'm never shy to ask questions. So that guy was Ricky. And I said, hey, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, why don't you come along? And he invited me over there. And then I've since uh, joined that mastermind group that, that Jordan Tong put together and, and all three of us are in that group. And and then we've kind of just uh, stayed in touch, become friends since then. I've gone up to see Ricky's office in Chicago. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty neat. So um, 
as far as far as my company, uh, you know, actually tomorrow will be the five year anniversary of when I started. Um, congrats, congrats, congrats! Cheers to that! Cheers yeah. to that! Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, not to not to go into too much or bore you too much, but I started the company. Yeah, January 2016. Prior to that, I was in the financial banking, business banking world for 12 years. Always felt like uh, um, a little stiff in that in that suit, wearing that every day. You know, uh, not not just like physically, but actually like just felt, you know, like I I, I just I always felt like I had an entrepreneurial personality, tendencies, whatever. Always wanted to do it. Didn't know what to do. Uh, didn't wasn't really an idea guy and obviously I picked clean, but it ended up, uh, ended up being a good thing. What I liked about the business was, uh, you know, it, it's a very, it's a pretty simple business. You're not going to reinvent cleaning itself, but if you work, if you work hard, you know, if you have a strong work ethic and some grit and you do what you say you're going to do, you're honest, you treat people well, both your team, your team members and your clients, um, you know, you're better and you communicate halfway well, you're better than a lot of the competition and, I found found a lot of that to be true, you know, five years later. So I uh, started with just uh, <clears throat> with just me cleaning uh, uh, an office building, just the common areas two days a week for 600 bucks a month. Uh, the guy didn't even give me the five days a week. He stayed with the other cleaner that didn't have insurance or didn't have anything and did a terrible job. So that shows how much he didn't trust me at first. And then I Eventually earned the five day week business and then started uh, getting some more buildings from there one by one. Like I, I like to say one toilet at a time and uh, some small jobs in the beginning. And then, you know, over, over time, just kind of brick by brick started, started adding more clients. And, and at first it was me just cleaning for the first week after I took on a new client or my dad or whoever I can bring in. And then, so I knew the building, I knew where everything was and every, every corner of the building. And then I could train the person to clean it. And then I would jump off and go try to get it and go to the next one. But um, now, you know, fast forward to today, you know, um, I know some things you want me to touch on. Uh, so yeah, we're in Louisville, Kentucky, by the way. So in uh, the greater Louisville area is the only uh, city we're in now, although we have plans for expansion, but we have about 115 uh, approximately team members today. So they're, you know, uh, 90% of those are part-time uh, W-2 employees. Um, and we did just over 2 million in, in annual revenue in 2020. Um, we clean it's like 43 facilities now, I think we do. It's about 1.7, 1.8 million square feet, something like that. So you know, our, our ideal customer is that mid to large, you know, office building. We've kind of found a little bit of a niche in the, in the class A office space, um, ideally owner occupied, but we do a little bit of multi-tenant stuff too. So, and then we also, you know, offer, so our five night a week janitorial service is kind of our bread and butter, but we also offer carpet cleaning, um, you know, floors, window cleaning, that type of stuff, considering getting into construction uh, cleanup in the next year or two. So uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, we'll get into, I mean, you're just when I listen to you talk, John, again, it's, and I'm mad, I'm sure you're, you're the same way too. It's like, you know, you, I, I know you like what you do, you love what you do. And it's like, you, you've soaked so much in and I can't believe you've only been in the business for five years. And, I, and it's funny because I remember, I still remember that day 
at that show because you know, and again, it's a lot of listeners don't go to these shows. You know, that's another push for me is to, you know, everybody who owns a cleaning business should go to the ISSA show, should go to the BSCAI shows because of this, right? Like, yeah. we wouldn't have met each other if it wasn't for that show. Um, the same goes for Matt. Like, that, we have the same story ac across all three of us is, you know, when I met Matt, we were like, you know, we were the young guys of yeah. this predominantly, you know, old school legacy business where, you know, I knew right away when I saw Matt at the, we were both, I think, in the new, the new member group or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Was, I think, you know, it was at the, the show, but. I think it was like the new member reception or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like, yeah. I was a new member, you were a new member, but it was, you just gravitate, you know? So that's why I, it's been a long time coming to have both of you guys on. Um, John, we'll get into some more stuff because we'll, when, there's some topics that I, I really want you to shed some light on for, you know, because you weren't there too too long ago. When a lot of the a lot of the new business owners right now, they they feel stuck. They don't know who to talk to. You know, don't get me wrong. Facebook groups are great too, but you needed this peer to peer that we're doing right now. And you know, hopefully we'll touch more on that. But Matt, why don't you take it away? You know, you guys, yeah. Matt's from the Pennsylvania area, and you know, again, another young guy that's. Just got a group, good grip on the business, man. So there, shed some light. You know, let us get to know you too, man. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ricky. First, I want to say, you know, congrats to John. Five years. Um, that's a huge accomplishment, right? Uh, statistically speaking, most companies, you know, 45% of companies fail in the first five years. So, you know, you've made it over that hump. That's a huge hump, John. So you should be proud of that. Um, you know, both you and Ricky have started something that was something you started from nothing. I'm a little bit different because I start, uh, I come in as a second generation. So I have a little bit different um, approach, I guess you could say. So my name is Matt Terryberry and I work for a company called BNT Building Services. We just changed our name. It was BNT Contractors, but we changed it uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, we, were, we were getting phone calls, you know, can we come do construction work? <laughs> and we were like, no, we can't, but uh, we'll clean your building. So, uh, yeah, I start as a second generation. It's one of those things that I've been in the business since, you know, I can remember, right? When I was young, I would come into the office with my parents and um, just hang out with them while they were doing payroll and things like that. I never, I never really got to see the the tough times at the beginning that they, they talked about, like, you know, they would pay all their bills and things like that, but there wasn't money left over at the end to pay themselves. And that's what like a lot of new um, business owners have that, right. You come in and you got to pay expenses, you got to pay your employees. And then at the end of the day, there might not be anything left over for you, but um, super tough. so I can appreciate the grind that they put in. And that's the same thing that both of you have done. Um, and I have that appreciation for that hard work, but yeah, so I've been in the business ever since I can remember, grew up coming around the office. Uh, when I was in high school, I was cleaning buildings in town here, uh, when I was in high school. So after, after school, I'd go and clean a couple buildings and, uh, you know, in college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just kept working here part-time and never really thought that I was going to be in the janitorial business. It just kind of found me. So that was a little bit different approach because a lot of people want to have that life change or they want to start something new, but I just kind of fell into it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Went, went to school for business management and then went and got my master's in finance. 
and then was like, Hey, this thing's kind of cool. So I'm going to stick with it. And, you know, that was back in 2013. So here we are almost eight years later and it's pretty crazy, but it's been a really fun ride. And I've got to see the business through many different, uh, I guess, roles because, you know, I started at the bottom. I wasn't one of those ones that just came in right at the top. So I started out cleaning, started out delivering supplies, checking out accounts, that type of thing. Uh, started in operations a little bit, moved to marketing, into sales, business development. And now I'm kind of running the show for our business. And our business, B&T Building Services, we do work in Pennsylvania, New York. We do both janitorial services and concrete coatings. So we're a little unique because we offer uh, a service that, you know, many other BSCs don't necessarily offer, and that's the concrete side. So we go in and we resurface concrete. Most of our customers are manufacturing because that's what's here in uh, Western Pennsylvania, New York. So I would say about 65% of our customers are manufacturing. And that's kind of our bread and butter, a little bit different than John and and yourself uh, coming from a little bit bigger cities. We do a lot of work in the rural market. So we're in between basically Buffalo, New York and Pittsburgh, PA. We do everything in between there. Um, so my man, parents, I want to jump in real quick. Yeah. I just, again, I know we've got a couple questions I want to touch on, but hearing stuff, I always like to jump on something if I, if I hear something. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's crazy how your target market is so different than ours, which is so different than John's. Mm-hmm. Yet we've all seen success. So like that goes to show, you know, the market really can't dictate success, right? So some people would say, oh, Rick, Chicago, easy to have, a, a, you know, a, a roaring business, you know, there's buildings everywhere. But like, I don't have manufacturing. I don't have commercial office buildings like John does, right? Like you guys, have, we all three have such different clientele and we, you know, hit those, those revenues that, you know, a lot of people strive for and we're striving for much more. But again, it's just a point I wanted to point out that you have to, everybody needs to worry about the market they're in, but look at everybody's market. You can find clientele and you can find success. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it really depends on where you're located and, and what that little niche is because whether you're in a rural market or, you know, you're more in a, uh, a city market, uh, that customer looks different, right? So there's people in your market that are taking those bigger buildings. You got that big competition, you got the big players, then you got the middle players and you got your small players. So there's, there's a little bit for everybody there. Uh, and, and it just changes per demographic area. I mean, like John has, he, he's got a completely different landscape than you still a large city, but it's completely different than us too. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I can add one thing on that too, I, I think for, you know, the, the, maybe the, the one the out there that are just getting started or trying to figure out which niche or whatever to go into, you know, I think location is big too, right? Like Matt doesn't, can't say I'm going to do class A buildings because there aren't any around him, right? Sure. In our city, there's a little bit of everything, but I think it's knowing yourself and being self-aware. And like, so I, I worked at a bank for 12 years. So I was used to working in a class A building. I felt comfortable in it. I didn't, work, I didn't grow up working in a manufacturing plant. Had I done that, I'd probably have 40 manufacturing plants instead of, you know, so you kind of have to know yourself and your strengths where yeah. you're are too where you feel comfortable you know do you feel comfortable working with the facility manager of a class a building or maybe even a, a professional office manager lady or ceo or, or are you more of a 
you know, uh, manufacturing type of person. So because I, I see a lot on those Facebook groups or whatever it may be, like, what's the right target market? What's the wrong one? Is it small, big manufacturing? And there really is no right or wrong answer. It's what's the right for you. Like Ricky, you have a lot, a lot of success with restaurants and the service industry. And other people would say that's crazy, that's terrible, but there really is no right or wrong. They're all going to. There really isn't. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah. The market dictates that for us, but like you said, yeah, the, the fam- being familiar with the like that type of space. That's true too. That's a good point. Yeah. No, absolutely. And to go off John's statement, um, at first, it's try not to do too many things. Right. Um, find that kind of niche where you. Where that's you what I do in. best. Too many things yeah. at one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like just trying to find that niche at first, you know, if you're doing a lot of manufacturing and you're doing really well at it or same thing for restaurants, banks, like whatever you're servicing, just if you're doing really well at it, keep doing that until you can expand into that next division. Yeah. Um, just because sometimes you spread yourself so thin uh, too quickly, especially starting. Yep. So guys, next. So, so uh, again, so much stuff to talk about, man. I mean, like, you know, we could talk for days here on so many topics. You know, we talk again, people. So for everybody that's listening, these are guys that I'm text messaging at one in the morning, ten at night, eight a.m. We we have so many conversations, but I love that we can we continue to have different conversations, right? So like one conversation that I want to touch on, and the main point that I want to kick this off with too is the audience and the people that are starting off right now, and because I I get this question a lot is Rick, when, when do I know I'm starting to grow or how do I grow? Like, you know, I'm not lucky, Rick. I didn't have my wife to be my business partner. I didn't have my brother as my, I don't have, I'm not second generation come into a business. So, you know, some it's lonely. It's a lonely business. John, maybe you felt that in the beginning, but you, like you said, you had family too, but what do you guys remember, Matt, this may be a little different for you because you're coming in after it's existing. But John, let's start with you while Matt can think of an example too. Is what was that you know first hire, John, that you said, I'm ready, I trust other people, right? Because trust is a big thing. And it, it just took one thing off your plate that you were like, Boom, I can work on, on the business now versus continuously in the business. Yeah, I think, uh, um, and maybe to, t- to take a step back, I think it started with those c- first couple jobs of um, trying to price things correctly on the front end. So you're starting out and you're cleaning. Sometimes people price the job um, and don't include paying themselves or replacing themselves to do that same job, right? Like right when you're starting out. Well, then if you, if you, go, if you go out of it and you put somebody in there, uh, and you got to pay them, you know, you may not have the profit. So I, I think that's a, a, a big point is when you start off is to price it like you're, you're not cleaning, you're hiring somebody else to do it, mm-hmm. um, which I was able to do, able to do. And then, you know, um, so I think that that's important. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's a gradual thing where you clean you know, part of the like, you know, I cleaned all the time and then I went to clean 80, 70 percent of the time. And then I hired uh, one person to work with me and then I got another job and then I hired somebody else to kind of work with them. So it was those first couple hires. Um, and even from the very beginning, I tried to hire on uh, the person, uh, not the experience. So, you know, they're, you know, do they have, 
you know, are they, I mean, to, to very simplify it, are they a good person? Um, can you trust them? And do they seem to have a work ethic and some energy about them. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I think about it a little bit more, but that's pretty much what it, what it was. And it, I had a couple of those people in the beginning that I could rely on that knew how to clean. And then I kind of just one building at a time would kind of, I would clean for the first week, get it, get it going. And then I would, I would figure out how long it would take to do the job. Um, so I knew that if it took them four hours, no guys, I know I did it. It only takes two. And then it was just, you know, then I hired, I hired an area supervisor part-time, like 25, 30 hours a week. Once I had a few, three, four buildings. Um, and, you know, and at that point too, it's a scary thing for people listening because, you know, financially you're like, can I do it? You know? Um, and then it's one of those things where you have to take a, a risk as an entrepreneur and, you know, take maybe one or two steps back to take five steps forward. Um, and then it, it kind of goes back to always be selling and always be recruiting. Don't wait until you feel like you have that one job in place. You kind of have to jump off a cliff and build a plane on the way down kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but, you know, hiring that first supervisor that helped train, fill in, inspect, you know, supplies, all that stuff really helped me a lot. And, you know, I paid them two bucks more an hour than I did the cleaners or whatever. That was probably the first big one. And then the real big first one was an area manager at some point, but I won't go too far into that. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. No, yeah. Cause I want to talk about the area manager role too, because, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, Matt, we'll let you jump in too. But cause even for me, five years in is when I first knew really what an area manager was for me, right? Like I had multiple people doing multiple roles that I ended up realizing was that area manager. I just didn't know at the time, but we'll touch on area manager because I think that's a crucial, crucial role for an organization for when you really step out of a lot of the, the daily tasks that that person that pricing, And that pricing on the front end is so important. So you have room to step back and put that person in place. Yeah, no, you're right. You don't, then you can't, you know? People, yeah, because you think about it and that, that raises the bar for the the competition of the industry because if you're you're bidding jobs at 20 an hour you're you're making it tough on the rest of the industry because at that point you are thinking about you know you're just oh well i you know i'll pay myself 15 16 and i'll you know I'll make profit on whatever the case is that's a very good point is it really does come down to pricing because that starts the whole the rest of the process so matt what about I'm interested in your perspective coming into the business. Like, what did you, did you see a hire that you saw that stuck out to you or were you that hire for your family? Like what, what is? Yeah, no, that's, I think that's a great question. Um, so our perspective is a little bit different, but I think it's still valid for many companies because when I came on board, you know, we were probably about 25 years in, we were still just a small mom and pop, like janitorial company, right? We were, we were only doing a million and a half 25 years in, but like they were comfortable. That was, you know, what was good. So we just kind of stayed right there. And my parents real first, I would say their first hire that really helped them was somebody that was on the sales side. He did sales and he did a little bit of operations. So he helped take a lot of that initial burden off. So he came with a sales background, um, but he helped them in that, that aspect. And, he, he's still with us today and you've met him. Uh, we were in Chicago's pick. Um, oh, okay. yeah. But yeah, so, uh, 
that was, I think their first real hire that really helped them from just them doing everything. Cause at first, you know, mom and dad were cleaning at night. They were going out in the morning, picking up checks, uh, things like that. And then paying what little staff they had at the time. Uh, fast forward to when I came on, I started with marketing, started expanding from there. And I saw a business that was, you know, well-established, but it, it had so much more potential than what it was doing. You know, everything was still pen and paper. There wasn't like a lot of processes or processes or anything like that. Uh, not a lot of people either. There was a, a staff of really three, my mom, dad, and one other person that were running everything. Uh, so my whole thing was, hey, let's put some kind of structure in place here that we can reproduce and we can grow and that we can replicate. So one thing that we did was we've been trying to figure out that whole area manager thing. Like you said, you're five years in, we're 25 years in, 30 years in, and we're still trying to figure it out. So um, for anybody that's starting, like if you can figure that out right away, like John said, if you can get that person that's starting to supervise and know their role and have them in the right position, I think it's going to be super effective. Yeah. But so this year alone, we just kind of, uh, looked at what we were doing and thought, Hey, this isn't super effective. Let's start to build this out more area managers, uh, promoted someone to regional manager that oversees all our operations. And I would say that's really, since I've been here, our big hire that has, uh, really taken a lot off my plate, uh, somebody that oversees all of our operations. And, and he was promoted up from our, one of our area managers, actually, he was an area manager for about four years and then just became our regional manager. And so I would say that's kind of our first big hire since I've really had an impact in it uh, that's helped us, but well, yeah. Well, I mean, I said we jump right into area manager, right? Because I think this is such a, such a topic to, you know, because first of all, John, super impressed the fact that you even, not that, okay, then you shouldn't know what area manager is, but year three, I remember, year four, I think you were already talking about this. And, you know, me and Matt are probably like, man, we're already like, you know, five plus years in. I, we're still, everybody's still trying to figure it out. So, you know, kudos to you to, to, to figure that part out because I'll tell you, when now that we have a few area managers, it's like, man, they take such a burden off of the in-office management team, right? Because you got to think about it. you still, as you grow, you need, somebody needs to do payroll. Somebody needs to do HR. Somebody needs to be the office manager. Like so many roles have to exist in the office environment to build camaraderie and build like a foundation for employees to, you know, cause you start recruiting people too. Uh, you know, your everyday janitorial technician, why are they going to go here to you versus an established company, right? But the area manager, it's a, it's a, it's a lonely job. To me, I think, you know, like they're out in the field for you battling, you know, covering, inspecting. They do like that's right. Like, what does an area manager entail? Everybody throw their two cents in. I could name off like 10 things that I know ours does. And it almost becomes, it feels overwhelming at times. Like, I don't want to burn them out. But at the same time, that's their job is not to be in the office. Really, you know, I mean, I think like, you know, John, pick it up. Like, let's. Let's talk about the area manager because, Matt, you're right. It's never too early to think about who that person is because that's essentially taking over our roles, you know, as ownership, as business uh, owners. Yeah, and, well, first of all, I, I don't have to figure it out, but, I, but we're, we're, we're trying. Uh, and don't let, these, don't let these other two guys fool you. They're both – both their businesses are more than twice the 
size of mine. So, uh, but uh, you know, and you know, if I did figure that out or start to do that earlier than maybe some, it's it's only because I learned it from other people. Uh, a lot of people in our mastermind group, uh, you know, I kind of followed uh, uh, Jordan's model somewhat as far as area area manager role, but. You know, I've seen companies do it do it two different ways. So, um, you know, I've seen and I've seen some have success with both. So the the one that we don't do, I'll just say real quick, is where uh, the manager that basically manages the cleaning, make sure all the trains run on time, everything's done, staffing, scheduling, inspecting, all that at night, right? Um, and then I've seen some companies hire customer service people to kind of take care of the customers during the day, but the, the, those two are separate. Um, what I liked about George's model, the reason we've adapted that, which is the other side, the area manager does both, um, is um, there can be a disconnect sometimes between the customer service and, and the, at least I've seen in, in the in the operations at night. Whereas if the area manager goes and sees a customer uh, during the day, how we doing, you know, they know that building, they know every square inch of that building. They know what's going on, what's good, what's bad. Um, so sometimes there's a, there's a disconnect. And I, th I think there's a lot of value in the uh, facility manager, property manager, office manager, um, having the relationship with the, the person that's over the operations at night, you know, they, they, they don't need, they don't want to talk to a smooth, slick salesperson or anything like that. They want to talk to somebody that, that's rolling their sleeves up at night and, and knows how to help them, you know? So that, that is why we've kind of taken that approach. So our, our area manager role is kind of a step up from, uh, at least in our world, the, the term supervisor. So, so you know, it's kind of like clean, cleaner, cleaning technician, team leader, which team leaders still clean, but they are more the lead on that team. So we may have four people on a building, but we, we see somebody that kind of sticks out that's got some leadership skills. We'll pay them a dollar, whatever, two more, make them a team lead. Um, and then they're kind of our go-to person. So we don't have to, we don't have all four of them calling managers all at the same time. And then above that supervisor is kind of more, more just at night, not doing the customer service, but kind of uh, training, onboarding new buildings, uh, 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 supply need, whatever, all, all those type of things, filling in, you know, we don't like them to fill in, but that ends up being a reality a lot of times. And then above the area manager role, which again, it's a full-time, for us, a full-time salary position, uh, you know, uh, um, company vehicle, um, um, you know, benefits, all, all that stuff. And it is the, to your point, Ricky, you know, and I worry about it too, because I care about them a lot. I worry about them burning out because it, I believe that is the hardest job in any janitorial company is that area manager role. It is hard, hard work and you got to have grit. You got to have stamina, work ethic. You got to have all that stuff and you got to be able to to have some uh, relationship building and communication skills um, and some leadership skills with your team. So you're kind of leading a team and being a manager and, uh, you know, leading them, managing them, holding them accountable. And you're also having to, to, you know, make sure the customers are happy during the day. And then you're also approving time on the, you know, uh, timesheets and doing that type of stuff too. So there, there's just a lot to that job and, and it's really, really, it's really hard, you know, um, and for us, we have we have two area managers, kind of one for two different regions, and they 
Um, they both report up now to a director of operations that we hired uh, about a year ago. Um, so that's, that's kind of how that, yeah. that model works for us. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, and that, man, that, and that's the part too, like you said, where I agree with being customer service oriented too, because in my, in my mind, the perfect person does know the, the customer, knows their team, and then knows our expectations in the office from a leadership standpoint. But it's like, man, it's tough to check all those boxes. You know, like we've got a great, great team of three area supervisors where we're, we're waiting for one of them to be the next step. But it's like, there's, there's checks that, that just, they don't check the box on certain areas where, you know, language, language barrier, that's tough, you know? Uh, catching on with technology, that's tough. But like you said, where a perfect area manager for me has done the cleaning, has sold an account, knows how to manage and inspire their team, understands technology for checking time and attendance and approving hours and checking inspections. But like, as you hear that, that's a lot of, that's a lot, man. There's a lot that goes into that. So I agree with the model of, you know, not, not because I do the other model right now, right? Where they don't have connection with the customer. So then it's almost like we go through two, two channels of communication, the client complaints to the operations team, the operations team relates it to the management, the area manager, they go back to the team like, man, you know, there's, a dis there's gonna be always a disconnect if that person doesn't connect with the customer directly. So it's always, it's a work in progress, you know, for us. I mean, Matt, what do you got? What do you guys, yeah. what your, your scenario? No, absolutely. Um, I can say we've done a lot of trial and error. Um, I feel like more error than trial, but uh, it it's one of those positions where I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it. Everybody does it a little different, right? There's some companies that do it really effectively where they have a customer liaison and then they have somebody that works specifically with the employees at night. Um, and that works really well for them. And we tried that for a little bit and it worked miserably for us. Yeah. So, and that was last year. Right. Um, and so now beginning of 2020, we were like, Hey, we're going to make this change. The area manager is going to effectively manage the customer completely. Like uh, John said, uh, kind of that Jordan Tong model of, um, they have complete ownership over that account. They meet with the customer, they work with the employee, they, for us, they hire, they train, they manage hours, supplies, all of that you said. Um, and that's worked really well for us this past year. We went into the year having three area managers. Uh, we ended up firing two of them and hired four new ones. So last year was kind of a crazy year for us because we're like, hey, we've done really well with sales, but our operations just hasn't met our sales threshold. So we put a lot of uh, focus into that. And the other thing we found out too on the front end when we first started this is we were overburdening our area managers as well. You know, And like what you talked about, that burnout happens really fast when you give them too many customers, yeah. too many employees, too many weekly hours to manage. Like that's a really unique job role. And if you don't have it figured out where, you find that right median of what works and what's too much, then you're just going to, it doesn't matter if you have the best person, you're just going to push them away because they can't handle it. 
Yeah. Um, so for us, it was figured out, okay, what is that happy medium where we can be both successful and that we can be profitable, right? And we were able to figure that out this year and start to build that team of area managers. Uh, what do you guys, uh, let's talk about, this is something that has been coming up, you know, with us internally, um, the sales aspect, right? So think about, you know, again, because it's like, it's a catch-22, right? Mm-hmm. The only way to grow is by having a sales team. But if you're a small to medium-sized business, you can't have a sales team. You are the sales from the leadership standpoint. So it's yeah. like, man, it's always, you know, we're not lucky to be, you know, a $50 million organization that has a team of 10 salespeople out there. But what I've, what I've seen now, and this is cool because the, the team collectively came together to present this to me is, Rick, we want operations. So we want our quality control training manager and the area manager to accompany the salesperson on the final walkthrough of a sale. So, you know, you got your initial sales call where the salesperson is trying to win the business and they're thinking about the business from a sales perspective and winning it to then they bring the operations team for a final walkthrough to then just give the assurance of, hey, I know you priced this out with, you know, production rate of this, cents per square feet of this, but we know it's going to take X amount of time. There's these factors, there's this, 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 because think about it, like we're not, the sales team shouldn't necessarily know ops and then the ops don't necessarily have to know sales, but it's like, and in my case, they both want to know each other's position because they're like, man, we want a flawless initial startup to where it comes because they've realized last year, especially uh, there was disconnects, you know, teams were starting to count. They didn't know about the sales side, sale happened, number came in, hours were given to the team. Hey, this is how many hours you have to clean. And people were getting pissed at each other, you know, people like, Hey, what do you, you know, you underbid this account. Hey, you know, you gave us too much time. Now the clean, the team is making, you know, making a profit on us because, you know, they, they have too much time. So was, there was a disconnect. So how much, sorry, long-winded question. How much sales should apps know and how much apps should the salesperson know in your guys' opinion? Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, for us, when we started, like I said, we had one guy that kind of did both. So he did the sales and the ops. And that was really effective because he knew when he bid it, what it was going to take to operate it, Right. And so from maybe a company that's just starting out, having somebody that has that uh, capacity to do both is good because now you have somebody that can do a little bit of ops. They can do a little bit of uh, sales. Uh, But fast forward to now, uh, that guy's near retirement. We're bringing, we just brought in a new sales manager uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's now just starting to learn all about the cleaning industry, operations, sales, everything. So that's a perfect example that I'm going to send him with our ops team before he ever goes out and tries to sell anything himself. Because if he doesn't know how to operate an account, then there's, you know, there's no point in him really selling it. Yeah. Because you have to have some capacity to what you're selling. It can't be a formula, right? Like I, I, I'm always asked about formulas and, you know, Rick, well, you know, there's gotta be a production rate, you know, to, to be able to price an account without really visiting the account. I'm like, Oh my God. Like I wish, but yeah. Yeah. There, there's an art to it. Um, 
there's definitely, you know, productivity ratios, square footage, like all these different pricing factors that help you in sales. But if you don't uh, like go out there and start vacuuming, cleaning some toilets and understand what you're selling, then you just don't have that complete package for sales. The other thing is on the upside is they have to know kind of what the salesperson's looking for when he goes through uh, and does a walkthrough. He, they have to know what those pain points are, right? They have to know frequency, um, some different things like that. So the ops have to have a little bit of understanding of what the sales are looking at. And like you, we also send our ops, uh, our area managers with our uh, sales uh, team whenever we're uh, pretty close to landing an account. If we feel it's really, really good on that second walkthrough, like you said, we're sending our area managers so they can understand what the customer's needs are without just having that pass from the salesperson over the area manager. So they can hear yeah. it firsthand. They can see it. They can be with their sales team and hear what they're talking about and have that just really the capacity of what's going on before it gets handed off. Yeah. So I think, I think you definitely have to have that cohesion between sales and operations. If you don't, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Uh, they can both operate independently, but they have to know what each other's doing and they got to be able to communicate. And that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. I feel like it's the most effective approach, to be honest. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it's like uh, on a football team, if the quarterback's coach is not talking to the offensive line coach for the game, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not going to work out too well. They got they got to be even though they're two distinct departments, if you will. They gotta, they got to be able to to talk and be and be on the same page. Plus. If, if the salesperson, you know, which is which has been me and still is me and my and only me in my company is, uh, or our company, I should say, is, uh, um, you know, uh, where was I going with that, man? I think I've to taken too many sips of the. <laughs> oh no, no, but yeah, I think the you know, you have to be on the same page about how we how we you know how we price jobs, what type of jobs we go after. I, I don't want to go sell a job that you know is terrible for operations or is hard to manage or is what whatever it may be so i think it starts with having kind of a plan as, as a whole company of you know who's your ideal client you know where do we want to go what types of clients we want to go after is there a minimum you know revenue number square footage whatever it may be and then you know and then it lets you know the salesperson still goes after it and what we do i bring my director of operations on on a lot of walkthroughs even the initial one um, and then, you know, a lot of times on the, on the proposal, if it's, a, if it's a bigger one as well, but I definitely bring them into the loop. And even if they don't go out in person during the sales process, you know, um, if we do get something then we definitely, you know, get together. Um, but usually I'll put the pricing together. I'll send it over my ops guy and say, Hey, look at it. You know, does that, that budget look right to you? You know, here, does that man, is that enough man hours for you? You know, all that. And make sure, because, you know, you want buy-in from them. You want them to, to feel like a part of the process. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, I think that's without a doubt important. Plus, it's also good for the sales process, too, because the customer, potential customer, doesn't want just to deal with the sales guy with the cleaning company. They want to, they want to meet the person that's going to be running the, the, the day-to-day. That it, yeah. you know, and I think it's good to have a good area manager or a good director of ops that presents well too to have them with you and 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 say, hey, this is your contact 24-7, you know. So um yeah, and, and you know, I think everything else you all I kind of agree with you guys, you all you all touched on already. Um and um 
Yeah. So, so think about, uh, you know, because I got two more questions I want to touch on before we, you know, it gets too late. Uh, and we're talking about it right now is, is numbers, right? So, because right, at first I got to be, I got to be honest, I was that person that, dude, if you guys asked me the first three years, what my P&L looked like, what my finances, financial statements looked like, I did not have a freaking clue. Um, it took me a while to understand what, all I knew is we were making money, right? The first couple of years, I was like, money in, money out. Things are going okay. You know, it, I'm happy. But it was when you actually sat, you know, I, I remember this because I did a Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. And one of the modules was, you know, your, your financials, bring them in. You know, we're going to go over them publicly. Everybody's going to stand up here in front of me. And I'm, I'm, I'm 33, 34 at this, at this time. Right? I'm not in high school or, or college anymore. So for them, you know, I, I started to get hot. I started to sweat. I was like, holy shit. You know, I don't know what I should know. And it was simple stuff. Income statement, P&L, cash flow. Um, again, not that you have to know everything, but where were you guys at when that was happening in your businesses? As far as, did you ever have to worry about that? Did you have somebody, you know, now I'm lucky. My brother's jumped on. He's our CFO, master's in accounting. I, I don't have to look at this stuff. I do with him. He teaches me, right? But that's pretty scary. Like, that was a scary thing for me to realize I didn't know what I should have known. How do you, you know, again, small business owner jumping in. Man, we got a lot to worry about. To also now be given the task of understanding financials. Yeah, I think uh, um, I, I, I've I've always liked the 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 phrase "who, not how." So you know, uh, being very self aware about what you're good at. So if you start a comp, if you start a cleaning company, you're just getting started, but you're more of an operational guy. Um, you know, then, you know, in the beginning, it's hard to do. You do a little bit of everything, but eventually you'll want to start to get to a point where you <clears throat> start thinking, how can I do this? It's who can I hire to do this? And you want to hire those people that are good at the things that you're not so good at or that you don't like doing. And usually those are the same thing most of the time, or they or it sucks your energy, right? For me, sales, relationships, dealing with people, culture, that gives me energy, operations, getting in the weeds with that and staffing and scheduling. I hate it. You know, so I, I think it's, I think it's being very self-aware of what you're good at and trying to hire people that fill the holes that you're not good at. Um, and obviously when you deal with numbers, you got to be careful with that too. You know, when I was in the banking business, I saw a lot of people hire a bookkeeper and just trust, trust them to do everything and didn't know. Oh, that's, that, that's what I was scared of. Was yeah, you got to know, you got to know a certain, you don't need to know everything about a PL, what everything means in the beginning, but you know, you do one of the first things I did when I started was signed up for a QuickBooks uh, subscription. And then I had a QuickBooks guy come to my house once every two weeks and train me on how to do it and how to use it. Um, and then I hired a bookkeeper not too long after that, a third party bookkeeper that I trusted to balance the book. So a bookkeeper is different than a CPA. Basically, you know, when you think of balancing your checkbook every month, you're balancing your business checkbook every month. And, you know, um, anyway, so, th but that is so important. Uh, having a clean set of books, which is basically be able to look and see on a report what's coming in 
and what's going out every month and what's left over. Um, because if you don't know that, um, it's really, it's really tough now, but, but I would say even more important than that is, uh, um, is cash flow, especially in the beginning, but, but forever cash is king, right? So in the beginning, you know, one thing we did right, and again, I didn't, it wasn't my idea. I learned it from somebody else was to kind of bill ahead of time. Cause I, at the time I, you know, I had been going through some personal struggles and different things and I, I didn't have the ability to get a line of credit with the bank. Most businesses don't in the beginning. So, you know, I had to get paid before I could pay my people or otherwise I couldn't pay my people. So, you know, so, you know, they say a lot of people, a lot of businesses go out of business, not because of lack of sales, but because of lack of cash yeah. comes in, you know? So I think that, that that's really important that the, the importance of cash flow and payment terms on the front end with customers in the beginning to ask them if it's okay because you can't afford to be the bank at that time. And you just have an honest, frank conversation. Is there any way we could do this? Or this is the way we do it. And it just kind of worked out. Most people, if you ask nicely, believe it or not, you know, we'll do it unless you're dealing with a large national company with a, you know, so, you know, maybe in the beginning you work with some more local companies where the actual checks cut at that place, you know, so, but because you can run yourself out of business real quick, or you don't have any money to hire anybody, you can't grow. So that cash flow is 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 I can't stress that enough. And trying to get paid as quickly as possible on the jobs in the beginning to be able to start building some of that cash up. Assuming you don't have big cash reserves in the beginning and all that, right? Or don't not yeah. a big loan from somebody. So um, and then and then price you know pricing the jobs when you price a job, price it as if you're not cleaning and how, what would it take to, uh, if it's four man hours a night, two people at two hours, take those four man hours times what you would pay that person per hour and then add another dollar on that because you'll give them raises eventually, hopefully. And then yeah. you add a percentage and then you add your profit. So you make a healthy profit because you're not always going to be cleaning it. You're going to get out of it and it's still got to be able to make money. And then if you don't have money, you can't hire supervisors and you can't grow. So. Yeah. Man, I, and I'll tell you that that's one thing that I'm happy was a shit show in the beginning for us when we took, you know, because remember I bought, I bought a franchise. That's how I got into the business. So I, you know, again, didn't start from complete scratch, but realized very quickly pricing was inaccurate. You know, I, I walked into a, a, a mess because, who you know, the the accounts that we had and that we bought into were priced not to hire, but to clean yourself. So I had accounts that were all 18, 17, 8, 19, sub. It, you had to clean them to make a dollar. So I walked into that really quickly and understood what you're saying, John. You know, and it's like, you know, I, I, I had to start pricing correctly immediately whenever I had one new business. First, I had to learn the business. So it's almost like I paid for training. For the first year of my business, um, but John or Matt, talk about because I think you could bring some interesting perspective here. Is again, you, you're second generation, so you know I'm assuming books and invoicing and things were already established. But if you were going to be the next leader in your business in your company, like, did you go back to try to learn some of that yourself, or what? How did you approach the numbers game and understanding it? Yeah, so. 
you know, thankfully my background is in numbers, right? Uh, I got oh, you cheat. Management. All right, let's go to the next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got a business management degree. Um, I was always good with numbers. I ended up going, getting my master's. And basically that was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I bought time. I just got my master's, you know, thinking that I'd get a job after that. Really like numbers. Uh, so I, I studied cash flow statements, balance sheets, profit and loss, like all this stuff in college. Didn't really think it was going to have an effect on, you know, what I was going to do exactly later. But um, coming into the business, that was one of the first things I did is I looked at our P&Ls that my parents had. I looked at our balance sheets. I looked at our cash flow statements and I was evaluating those right off the bat. Like, hey, you're, these expenses are kind of a little out of whack or you know, you have like super high um, long-term liabilities here. Like what can we do? So I came in with a little bit different approach. Um, I also get that from my mom. She's super like a super number numbers person. So she ran our books. She did our AR AP when we first started, she did everything with numbers, right? The first person we hired was someone that did uh, like the desk, like the front desk clerk that was the secretary who also did some of the payroll. Uh, but when I came on board, I did, like I learned payroll. That was one of the first things I learned. Don't ask me why, um, but I learned how to do payroll. So like we could pay people. You don't, you don't want to see my the way I was doing payroll. <laughs> you can read my handwriting. I, I definitely overpaid people, underpaid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no. So um, my approach is a little different. One thing that I am a strong believer in is if you don't own your numbers, they'll own you for sure. You have to know what's going on. Find like with the numbers. Um, even if you're, you know, super sales, um, savvy or operations or whatever your strong suit is, because, you know, first of all, it might not be numbers, but you have to know at least enough in a capacity of what's going on financially, or you're putting complete trust in someone else. And like you said, that's a scary thing, right? We're trusting someone else that's going to make the best decisions as a business owner, but they they may not be a business owner. So just knowing those numbers, it's simply like John said, hey, what's coming in? What's going out? Okay, that's great. That can tell me what's left over at the end of the day. But then, you know, a great point John made is cash flow, right? Uh, us being in business for almost 27 years, we were doing business and we were going to, we build on the first after the month was done. So we come in and when I come aboard, we're like, hey, you know, cash is tight. We got a line of credit that we're using all the time. And so I slowly started moving things up to, hey, let's build on the first of the month. And that was largely in part to the uh, mastermind group, just finding what other people were doing. Okay, yeah. and I never thought of like pre-charging people. So we did that and our cash flow is great. And we haven't used a line of credit since then. Yeah, man. And, yeah, we switched to bi-weekly. We bought yeah. we bi-weekly invoice and it's been amazing. Like we have, it's night and day. Yeah, yeah. And so struggling for 20 some years for a simple fact that we were billing after <laughs> we done with all the work. So you think about it, okay, 30 day terms, that's not bad. But if you're billing after you're done with the work, now you're looking at 60 day terms. Yep. So you have to float 60 days of expenses before you're getting a single check, yep. right? And that's a lot to float, especially as a new uh, business owner or someone that's just starting in the business. So and that's like said, about that. so you, you guys, like that's just reevaluating re your current business. That's not, hey, I went and found new, more, new sales. Hey, I went and found you know, this, this, and that, like, it's just doing a gut check of your business. And mm -hmm. like, it's, it hurts to ask that question, but like John, you were saying too, like, man, you just gotta ask, 
you know, a lot of these clients, they, they know it. You know, I've even got clients that they want to pay ahead of time because you know, they want to get off their books. They're asking you, you know, and it's, you've got to just ask those questions, you know, because that, that itself, if you went from, like you said, man, waiting, because that's what you just, I, I got to believe when you're starting a business, I know when I started, I thought you will after the work is done, like standard, normal. Like, yeah, I would assume that. But, you know, obviously it's like the Comcast joke, right? Like, oh, man, the Comcast bills you before your internet even for the next month. So, yeah. and it's like just that simple move completely changes the outlook of your cash flow. Absolutely. All you did was revise your business model. That's it. You didn't do anything else. You know, nothing new. It was just revised. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same premise. John's doing it within the first five years, it took us 20 some years just because that's all we ever knew, you know, Hey, we completed the job. Now we'll ask to get paid for it. Um, and so Which just, not, that's not I'm, 90% of the people will probably think, yes, that's exactly how you should it do it. Like, it was like one of those like aha moments, you know, yeah. like why didn't we think of this a long yeah. time ago? But yeah. Yeah. And it's become, it's become more commonplace like in our business because it's a recurring model. We're in there every night, but like a, we do a carpet cleaning job or whatever. I mean, we don't charge ahead of time for that, obviously. Yeah, you get, that, that's different. After the job's done. Yeah. But, um, you know, one, one thing, too, I know a lot of people in the beginning, they just do uh, bank balance accounting, right? So they just look at their bank balance. As long as they got money in there, they're okay. Um, which actually, you know, if you don't have a P&L yet and you're looking at your bank balance of your business account, assume you don't have any personal stuff in there. And over time, if your if your account is staying the same or going down, you know, then it's one of two things: either you're not pricing properly, you don't have profit, or or uh, it's a cash flow issue and you're not getting paid quick enough. You know, so there's something to be said to saying no to jobs in the beginning if you don't have that financial backing, like a five thousand dollar account, but they're not going to pay you for ninety days. You got to do the math and realize that's going to suck your whole business and maybe put you out of business. So. The, oh, yeah. the, you know, something to be said. I think, did we lose Matt? Super important. Yeah, I don't know what, what happened. Bathroom break for Matt. But I think restroom break, maybe. Yeah. So I, what I did want to end with, though, here, John, I know, you know, we'll throw Matt in when he gets back in here. Because uh, it's already been an hour. I told, I told you guys, we were going to go way past what we were supposed to. But again, this, these are good nuggets, man. You know, this is, this is what the, uh, the up-and-coming small business owner or current, because what I want to touch on now and end with, is even if you're in the business for five, six, seven, eight, 10, 20 years, you always, there's always time to hit the refresh point, right? And there's always time to reevaluate your business, which I know you did early on. Um, and what I want to talk to you on is the EOS model, right? And Matthew's talking to the to your EOS implementation specialist. I'm talking to the same guy. So I think it's better suited for. You know, again, we could talk about this for a whole other episode. But to the listeners that don't know what EOS is, to the listeners that don't know what what it is to reevaluate your business from a professional approach, explain. You know, EOS, explain traction, explain get a grip. Like, what what is that process, and what did it do for you as a business owner? Um, I think what you did probably four years ago. Yeah, so I think I think the the, the John, yeah, we're talking about EOS here. We're gonna end the conversation with EOS. Yep. So I'm gonna let John take take over next. Yeah, I think I think the general idea is that 
you know, as you grow, you know, maybe some things that got you from year one to year five may not get you from year five to year 10 or, or whatever, or this point to this point in revenue, right? Um, you know, year zero to year one or two is how hard can you work and how good can you clean and how, how and how much stamina do you have to not give up, you know? Um, when you start hiring people, you know, then you got to say, okay, you know, now, now I'm becoming, it doesn't matter how I clean now. It's, it's how, how good of a leader of a people am I, how good of a manager am I, you know, and then over time too, I, I think, I think some things have to stay the same, which are your core values and what you believe in about, you know, for us, that's a desire to serve others, ownership mentality, um, positive energy and relationships over transactions. And that's hardly ever changed since we started. So some things shouldn't change, but there are things that have to change over time. And you're, and you have to re, re like you said, reevaluate every, every so often uh, to get you to the next level. Because if you go from a, you know, now we're looking to go from a $2 million company to a $30 million company in 10 years. And we have kind of a plan to, to get there. Um, you know, that's a lot different. And that, and that included hire, me hiring uh, two big, huge hires, leadership guys, one that's been executive management for years, and another guy that's been and uh, was a regional vice president for a large janitorial company for, for 25 years. So, so I say that to say, you know, before I hired those two guys a year ago, I was listening to a podcast, again, trying to learn and get better because I didn't know everything. And uh, I heard about a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And the book is based on uh, a framework for a lot, back of, lack of a better term, to how to run everything in your business for a growing business. If you don't want to grow, it's really not for you. Anywhere from a $2 million to a $50 million company. Um, and what I liked about it, and especially before I hired my two guys, is you know, I'm good at, I'm good at sales. I'm not good at all the infrastructure stuff. I do have a financial background, so I'm pretty decent at that. But this is a framework and it's probably, it's not the only way to run your business, but it's probably one of 50 like proven methods to run your business. It's not the only one. It just happens to be one that a lot of people have found that works. And basically what that model says is it focuses a lot on how do you build a leadership team within your company and how do you build a cohesive leadership team where you all work together and, and, and complement each other. And then how do you have meetings as a leadership team? What do you talk about? What's the agenda? How do you stay consistent? And then how do you set goals as a company, a 10-year goal, a three-year picture? What's that look like in three years? Then a one year, and then you have what they call quarterly rocks, which are just another term for quarterly goals. Um, and then, you know, how to deal with, I think it's broken up in like six different main, uh, says that every company's made like of six different um, sectors, if you will, which is, you know, people, data, issues, vision, um, uh, process, and I can't think of the other one, but, but the vision part is big. You kind of reevaluate what is your vision? What is your core purpose for your company? What is your why? You know, why are you doing business? For us, it's to make a positive impact in the lives of our team members and wow our clients every day. That's our, that's our reason for getting up in the morning. And then it's, you know, what are your core values? What do you stand for? And are you really hiring, firing, and rewarding people on those? And then, you know, it, it goes on from there, marketing strategy, and then all, all those things. But it, it basically gives you a framework to run your business. When you're, when you're first starting, you don't need EOS, and it's not, it's not for you. But once you get to a certain point and you want to get to that next level, 
you have to rethink some things about, you know, what, what does it take to get to that next level and really scale your business, you know, and, and uh, you know, so it, the point being always be trying to improve and at different stages of the, of the growth process, you kind of have to reevaluate things and, and maybe change up the way you think. So, yeah. So dude, I mean, I, again, I could talk so much about this because it's so fresh in my head because I just read the whole traction book during my 10-day quarantine for having COVID, right? So it's a positive thing that came out of that. But I mean, I resonated with so many, every chapter I had notes on it because it was like, you know, where was I at with this beforehand, right? Some things could have probably been fixed early on, but that's not the point, right? The point was, you know, you have to do it when you're ready. You have to do it when you get buy-in, right? Like, I think you nailed it. I think 2 million, even a million, right? Like, even a million in revenue, that size of a company, you that's a milestone, right? Not every small business owner gets to reach a million in revenue. So you should be proud of that. But then it's, um, yeah, so not everybody wants to get But this is a perfect book and a perfect process to implement if you are a person telling yourself, this is it. This is where this is my long, this is my legacy, this is my career, this is what I'm doing. I want to improve, I want to get better. Because you gotta give gut check, you know, because I'll tell you when I was reading it, I was like, damn, that's me. Shame on me. Like, why didn't I why didn't I catch that? You know, like, but it's and then but the team needs to buy in. So that was why I was super impressed with Dave, as Dave kept asking me, you know, John, Matt, Brian asked me the same thing. Awesome that you're in, like awesome that you love this, awesome that you read the book. I'm excited that you're so excited about it, but your team needs to buy in. So talk about a, a, a way to improve camaraderie, because think about it. If you're a million in revenue, two, three, four, five, you're growing, you're reaching a new market, you're adding a new service, you made a couple of hires, you start to extend the leadership and the management. Everybody starts to create pods, People start to hang out with each other. That person's got some animosity with this person. You've got, you've got like issues arising and just rumbling within your organization that us as, as business owners, we think we've got it all figured out. Like, there's no way. What do you mean? Ha, come on. Like, it'll work out. It'll work itself out. No, man. You know, like you need an outsider to come in like this and just really gut check your business. And I'm already, I'm email three into it. I already have some of the leadership like, hey, Rick, so what's going on here? Like, what, what are we, what, what's this going to involve? Like, uh, they're already asking questions. Like, so, so we're really going to do this. Huh? We're, so somebody's coming in to tell us what to do. It's like, no, man, nobody's telling you what to do. They're observing. They're going to really dissect how do we get to a $25 million company, 50, 100 million, because if you guys all talk the talk, you got to walk the walk, you know? I mean, Matt, what was your, what's your take on it? I mean, me and you are in the same boat. Everybody that's listening, John's done it. Again, kudos to this kid. I mean, dude, like, we're, we are larger in size, but he he saw this and took advantage of it. And here we go, you know, we're, and that's why I love that we push each other because the fact that it improved his business so much it, it makes me buy in. I read the book. I buy in. I hear everybody's reception. So for you guys to know, me and Matt are both thinking about this right now as we speak. 
Yeah. I mean, I can't give enough kudos to John. Um, where he's at in five years is like light years ahead of so many other companies, right. Including ourselves. Um, and for the fact that he's already implementing EOS in the first five years, and he's already almost over $2 million, like he's going to be at 10, 20, super fast. And him giving us that feedback for EOS, it's like, Hey, you know, I've thought about this for the last couple of years. I've kind of just put it on the back burner, but you know, I see what John's doing and it's working and I want to do that too. Right. I want to grow. I want to scale. How do we scale up? Like, what does that look like? And how do we hold ourselves accountable? And so us pursuing this EOS system, like, like you said, um, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, we decided as our leadership team, like, let's get traction, let's read it and, and see what it's all about. And then literally, I think maybe what was it last week or two weeks ago, John texted us and was like, Hey, you guys got to meet Dave, my implementer for us. And so I was like, perfect timing. So oh, yeah. it worked. this is all working out. Like it's the beginning of the year. Yeah. yeah. I reached, I reached out to Dave and I was like, Hey, we haven't started it yet, but this was the book we're literally about to start with our leadership team. And so we had a good meeting and we're going to see kind of what happens with that going forward. But um, yeah, and I think, I think a good point too, is like the, so I didn't mention it. So for those that are listening that maybe don't know what we're talking about. So the, the element that we're talking about now is that, you know, you can read the book and try to self-implement this program. And from my experience, because I reached out to other businesses that had done this uh, to ask them how they like doing it on their own versus hiring a third-party implementer. Uh, and a third-party certified EOS implementer is basically somebody that's like certified and teach by EOS to teach the program. Uh, is Dave smarter than any of us? <laughs> you know, not he just you know it's not that he knows how to run a business better than anybody but he knows how to teach the eos system and do quarterly sessions and um with businesses like you guys and, and me and ask the right questions to produce the right results from from the leadership team and he knows how to teach the exact eos program and i think the the, the bigger picture is like that it provides structure because as you get bigger it, it structure becomes more important. You kind of, I think the book says, talks about like your whole business is like attached by like duct tape, you know, yeah. eventually, like if you grow too much and you don't have that structure, um, you know, then it can, it can kind of crumble. And I think that that's what I've found that, that works and that, you know, that in the, in Dave or any EOS implementer, it's a neutral third party that's unbiased doesn't and, and he's there to serve the good thing too. He's there to serve the leadership team, not John. Even though I'm even though I'm 100 owner, he's there to serve the leadership team. So there, my leadership team's allowed to reach out to him and ask questions uh, with me not there. You know, so he he is there to try to figure out how he can build such a cohesive leadership team, and then that cascades down to the rest of the team. Um, but he's not like he's not Warren Buffett or anything like that, or that he just teaches the program. And again, it a lot of them are simple principles. We all know it. We probably already do it. Like the right people in the right seats. Like we already know we need yeah. the right seats, but it kind of just, it just provides structure and framework, you know? And it's, and, and I love that. Like, yeah, you're right. There's probably 50% of the things that we are doing or we, we were successful with and we have recognized, but it's the point of having somebody be, he's almost like a chief accountability officer, right? Like, 
there's so much that we say we're accountable for, but we never execute on delivering the results. So it's like, that's what's exciting me about it because we've talked so much about these different aspects, but this is something that'll bring us together. Um, and again, we're talking about you, you reach a certain point when you want to do this, everybody too. And it's, you know, don't do this in the beginning. You've got to get to a certain point to, to want to know that it's the right time to do this. Um, but again, this is just us ending this, you know, awesome session on nuggets of the future because this is an, this is an industry and this is a business that you could, it opens up doors to so much. None of us thought we were going to do this here, that we're talking here. I did not think I was going to be in this industry, but I tell you what, I'm never going anywhere. Like, this is it for me. This is the legacy that I'm building. I think the same goes for you guys. Um, any last second or last minute things you guys want to say, we're going to wrap it up because I think we've talked quite a while. Um, but Matt, any ending, ending nuggets? John, same thing. Um. I mean, for those out there that are starting, uh, it can feel so overwhelming and daunting, right? Uh, John can, and yourself can both tell probably so many stories where you just felt like giving up, right? Uh, where it just felt too overwhelming, like you can't do this, like maybe it was a bad decision. Um, but if you surround yourself with the right people and you have that work ethic and that drive and you really have a goal set for yourself, like you can get there. Um, you may not be where you want to be, but where you're at right now is where somebody else is trying to get to. So you just got to remember that like, just cause you only see what's ahead of you right now, doesn't mean that the future is not much bigger and much brighter. So I, I think so often we get stuck like, Hey, I'm right here. I, you know, I want to get there. I want to do this. It's too tough, whatever. But sometimes we just have to step back and just be thankful for where, where we're at. And, uh, keep the big picture in mind and know that we can get there if we have the right people and the right, right mindset and work ethic. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And I, I, I'll just say, just add on to that, that um, if I can say one, one thing, it would be that what I've found, once you get past the point of, of cleaning yourself in the beginning and you want to grow and you have the desire to grow and you don't mind managing or leading people, you really got to like people. And then that's, but if you get to that point, um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you focus on your people first, you build relationships with your people, you care about them like you do family. I always say to my supervisor manager, when they walk in the door, before you ask them to clean the toilet, ask them how their family is. And if you take that, if you take that uh, mentality that, it, that, that, you know, people or labor is a necessity to get to your financial goal, you won't get that financial goal. But if you focus on them first, it doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable. Don't be confused. You still hold them accountable. But if you take care of them, they'll take care of your customers, the money will follow. That, that's been my experience. 100%, man. 100%. <laughs> that's the truth. So guys, again, thank you guys for taking the time. Uh, we spent quite a quite a minute here on uh, just sharing knowledge, sharing stories. That's what it's about. Everybody that's still listening, congratulations. <laughs> you made it to the end. Uh, but no, this, again, like <clears throat> so much stuff that we went over, guys. There's so much more we can talk about. But 
this is why I want to share your guys' story because there's a lot of relevancy here for me. And I know you guys, I know the success that you've had and the success that is coming. So trust me, there's a lot to be determined here between the group, us here in general. But again, thank you guys. Uh, there'll be some links. How to, you know, I'm sure you guys are okay with people if they want to reach out to you guys. I'll, you know, I'll share your LinkedIn profiles. You guys get to know these guys, Matt and John, they're great guys. Um, they love, as you can see, to share some nuggets. So they're, they're very open to anybody messaging them. Uh, follow their companies, check out what they're doing. Um, keep tuning in, guys. Thank you again. It's Cleaning the Cocktails. We're here to empower the cleaning industry. Uh, just literally one episode, one day at a time. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.